Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. As COVID-19 cases surge across the state, how are hospitals preparing for the second wave? Coming up, we talk to Yale New Haven Hospital about what it's seeing and doing to treat residents. First, the city of New Haven is among most towns and cities in our state that are seeing COVID-19 cases rising. New Haven Mayor Justin Elliker joins us with an update. Now, do you live in the Elm City? What questions do you have for Mayor Elliker? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome Mayor Justin Elliker back to the show. How are you doing, Mayor? I'm doing all right. Thanks for uh, having me. So we'll just start off. I wanted to hear how many COVID-19 cases uh, you're seeing in your city right now, Mayor. Well, since the start of the virus, uh, we are now at 4,541 New Haven residents that have gotten COVID-19. And unfortunately, we've lost uh, 121 New Haven residents. Uh, Like many, many places around the country and also, of course, in Connecticut, we're seeing a significant uptick where the daily case rate is around 31 per 100,000 and our positivity rate is over 7% right now. So uh, things are not looking terribly optimistic. Obviously, we're doing as much as we can to try to control uh, this uh, surge. When you walk around your city, drive around the city, do you see most of your residents uh, following uh, the safety guidelines where they're social distancing and wearing masks? You know, I've been so impressed um, uh, at just how many residents are following the guidelines. We see a lot of people wearing masks. Um, a lot of the establishments are taking it very, very seriously. And um, uh, I think that that overall has been one of the reasons we've had relative success um, over the summer months. There's examples of people that are not abiding by the, the rules. And, you know, we've tried to crack down on a couple of businesses that uh, after many warnings uh, still haven't um, uh, followed the guidelines that uh, have been put out by the governor and myself. But overall, people have been really, really good at um, at following the rules and keeping each other safe. Mm. Now, when you have your briefings with your staff and your health director, when you see the cases rising in New Haven, why do you think that is? Uh, I think there's a variety of reasons, but the primary trend that we're seeing is small gatherings that um, uh, people let their guard down when they're having a play date with a friend or getting together uh, at someone's house with just a handful of people. Uh, We've seen some increase of uh, uh, cases related to uh, uh, people having uh, dinner together, those sorts of things. And I think that people um, in general have uh, been trying to figure out a way to live life and get that uh, socialization, maybe expand their pod a little bit to help uh, with childcare. And these small gatherings have really driven the increase in cases. And all it takes is one asymptomatic person 
in a group of five to 10 uh, individuals and all of a sudden we have a pretty significant outbreak. What's been interesting is we've seen no significant trend around the city of a certain population. Um, it, it's been community-wide spread and uh, many, many people are getting it uh, everywhere around the city. Now you can join our conversation with Mayor Justin Elliker, especially if you live in the city of New Haven. Here's the number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, as a leader of a city, Mayor Elliker, you mentioned uh, these uh, personal, uh, these small gatherings that are happening that are uh, leading to these cases surging in your city and also around our state. But as mayor, what can you really do about it? Uh, there's there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, I, first of all, I think the most important thing that, um, that that our team can do and I can do is uh, live by example and make sure that we're all following the same rules that we're asking everyone else to follow. Uh, and so uh, our team has been um, very rigid about making sure that we're wearing our masks, especially when uh, we're in opportunities where uh, we, we could be potentially exposing other people. You know, I'm very deliberate about always wearing my my mask uh, in front of the cameras as well. I think uh, we've seen a lot of people take off their masks when these uh, uh, leaders, when they talk into a microphone. I, I don't think that's the right decision. I think we need to lead by example. The second thing is um, uh, messaging. Uh, we are very proactive at making sure we're letting residents know when there's an increase in cases, what they can do to be a part of addressing the problem. And we do that through uh, whether it's robocalls and text messages and emails and social media and talking with the press. I think that's a very important role. The third area is um, making sure that if we get uh, reports of um, uh, businesses or establishments that are not abiding by the guidelines that we send our COVID inspection team out to work with the businesses to address the problem. And uh, if businesses do not uh, cooperate after multiple warnings, uh, we'll take further action. Uh, as folks know, the, the, the governor ultimately has the power to uh, shut down uh, the uh, business establishments more. The Early on in the pandemic, the governor took that power away from municipalities. So we don't have that power, but I think there's a lot that we can do and are working on as a city to make sure that we're keeping residents safe. Mm. Have you had discussions with the governor's office about what you'd like to do as a mayor of your city, uh, maybe further rolling back uh, the reopening? That's something that you have uh, talked to the press about in terms of where we see the governor rolling back uh, the reopening a little bit, but you want to see indoor dining halted in your city. I, I have talked with the governor and his staff, um, and these are very, very uh, tricky and difficult uh, situations, right? The decisions, because um, we don't want to uh, impact the economy if we can avoid it. And the service sector has been very, very significantly impacted in particular by COVID-19. Um, I've made it clear that I think we need to be very, very proactive at this point early on in the surge. It, I think everyone is anticipating that these numbers are gonna continue to rise, especially with uh, Thanksgiving around the corner and what appears to be a lot of residents that uh, we'll be traveling and we'll be gathering together with a, um, a larger family or friend group. And it, it seems to me that it's inevitable that we will have to uh, close down some businesses temporarily. 
uh, and it's better for us to be proactive and do that uh, now rather than later so that we get a, the case under control. And that in the long term will be much better for the economy because we'll be able to open up faster and allow uh, businesses to get back to some sense of normalcy. I think that one of the reasons we were so successful with this first surge is that we, um, we tightened up very quickly and that allowed us to get the cases under control and ultimately allowed us over the summer to start to open up restaurants and other establishments um, so that they could survive throughout the uh, summer. You said that you've had discussions with the governor's office. And so what are they telling you now as we're seeing the second wave around our state um, to be able to give you back that authority uh, in your city? I, I agree with the governor that we should do things on a regional basis. Um, and I, I think that it would be unfortunate if New Haven were the only ones that took some of these actions, that uh, it's important for us to do things as a region. I mean, New, New Haven is not an island and Connecticut is not an island. I know the governor has worked hard to collaborate with other governors in the region uh, to uh, implement any changes together. Um, and we've seen uh, a, a lot of cases increase in other other states around us as well. Rhode Island has been hit particularly hard recently, and they've uh, they're going to be doing some tightening up after the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I, I think that they're in a tough spot and uh, uh, are trying to do the right thing to make sure that we don't permanently lose some, uh, for example, restaurants, but at the same time uh, try to keep things safe. I also think it's important to you know focus on the data and mm. the data does show that there's a lot of small gatherings that are driving this um there have been a number of outbreaks associated with restaurants the the dph the, the connecticut department of public health did an assessment of around uh, 69 uh COVID outbreaks and 20 of those were because of restaurants and that's not to pick on restaurants by any means, but I think that we look at, you know, for example, hair salons, we have not seen a lot of cases where there's individuals masked in hair salons. And so we, as we learn more about the virus, we should tweak uh, how we tighten up and uh, look to those places where we're seeing some outbreaks um, and other places where we may not be seeing them and we can potentially keep some places open and keep and, and tighten up other places. You can join our conversation with New Haven Mayor Justin Elliker at 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, someone tweeted, uh, Mayor Elliker, it's a no-win with restaurants. Without state or federal uh, support, I'm happy to order as much takeout as I can afford and to brave the patio in icy temperatures, but dining in is right now a personal nope. Uh, and so that is the question, right? How many restaurants can really afford to stay open, even with takeout. I mean, we really need support from the state and federal government here. Yeah, it's just an impossible situation. Uh, you know, on a regular basis, I talk with a lot of uh, the establishments downtown and people are really struggling to get by. Uh, the city's trying to uh, help with promotion of uh, marketing materials, takeout and uh, delivery We've also, uh, for folks that, that visit New Haven frequently, uh, closed down a couple of downtown streets to allow for more out, outdoor dining and are open to exploring more opportunities if there's establishments that want to do that. As it gets into the colder months, it's going to be much trickier. Um, and and the, the, the individual that tweeted is right. This is an impossible situation, particularly 
if the federal government is not going to implement a, a second CARES Act. We're seeing in Europe, for example, a lot of countries that are actually paying uh, restaurants and bars to stay closed. And we, I think it's very difficult for us to expect restaurants to, uh, to tighten up at the same time that we don't give them any ability to uh, keep going. So it's a very, very difficult situation. Hmm. And there is a, an, a wider effect when I think about so many people who go into New Haven uh, to dine at uh, so many of the great restaurants in your city. I mean, it has an impact on other businesses as well. Yeah, absolutely. We actually do uh, pedestrian counts um, uh, over time, and we've noticed that particularly right during the first surge, there were almost no people that were walking around downtown. And that number has slowly increased over time. Uh, and it has not gotten back to pre-pandemic levels by any means, but we're noticing a lot more people that are out and about uh, shopping. And I would encourage people, you know, there's so much reliance on Amazon and online uh, purchasing right now. I'd encourage people as much as they possibly can to buy local. You know, these, these uh, establishments downtown uh, are part of the vibrancy of New Haven. And if we don't do our part to help uh, help them out by purchasing their goods, uh, we're, we're going to see a New Haven that looks very different in a year. You can join us with Mayor Elliker, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Mayor, uh, listeners are liking uh, Twitter today, and Eric uh, tweeted, with the closing of the downtown soup kitchen due to COVID infections there and the closing of the food pantry in Hamden, what is the city doing about food insecurity for residents? Yeah, that was concerning. We saw that, and we're um, uh, doing, doing our best to make sure that the soup kitchens can stay open. I think we've seen... Some cases pop up, uh, they'll close for a short period and then um, ideally open up. We've been working to do a lot around food distribution uh, and there's a number of areas we've been doing that. Obviously school food is very significant and even though our schools are currently in uh, remote learning and have been so for us uh, in September, uh, we've been doing food distribution at many schools around the city to make sure that people have access to food. We've also been doing uh, larger distribution events that um, are kind of these pop-up events in many neighborhoods around the city. And they've been very, very popular, um, which uh, is just an indication of how, how much people are struggling. We partner with United Way and um, a number of other groups to help distribute uh, thousands and thousands of, uh, of bags of produce to residents. We also deliver food to seniors if they need it. And people, if they have access to the internet, can look on our website. If they just Google COVID New Haven, they'll find a link to all the different food options that we have for residents. Uh, because, you know, at this time, uh, people are, are really struggling with a lot of the basic needs. And it's very, very important that people have access to food to get by. You can join us with Mayor Justin Elliker of the City of New Haven, 888-720-9677. Miriam's calling in. Miriam, what's your question? Hi, good morning, Mayor. Uh, my question is that CT Transit is the last transit agency that does not have a mask enforcement policy where if you're not wearing a face mask, you will not be told you have to put on a mask or get off the bus. So passengers can board buses without masks on, aren't necessarily offered a mask, aren't told necessarily told you have to put on a mask or get off the bus, and they can ride unmasked. And then that means some people who are high risk don't feel comfortable taking CT Transit buses right now. Um, what is your take on this on, on this and you know improving 
mask um, compliance on the buses, which has gotten better, but is not 100%. Uh, this, is a, this is a great question. And, you know, I think a lot of listeners, uh, and, and Miriam, I'm sure you know that, that the uh, state of Connecticut manages CT Transit, but that doesn't mean that the, the city can encourage the state to um, change their policies. I actually think that it puts the drivers in a very difficult spot, and this is why CT Transit has not asked the drivers to enforce the mask policy. Um, uh, from time to time, there are incidents on buses, and the drivers should be focused on driving the bus and not uh, intervening and um, potentially creating a situation that um, might not be ideal. But I think the suggestion of having masks available for people um, to uh, use if they get on the bus is a really good one, and I will certainly pass that along to the state. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. We'll continue taking your calls for Mayor Justin Elliker, who leads the city of New Haven. Here's the number again, 888-720-9677. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We'll be back after a short break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're checking in with New Haven Mayor Justin Elliker today. If you live in the Elm City and have a question, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We have the mayor for the next 10 minutes before he heads off to a meeting. Elisa's calling in from New Haven. Elisa, go ahead. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so my uh, question was, um, I'm recently recovering from COVID. I had a moderate case. I was really sick. And while my doctor, you know, made clear they were taking care of me, I didn't receive any instructions about um, how to reach out to people I may have been in contact with or um, any kind of follow-up with um, contact tracing. Um, and I was just wondering if what the plan was in the city for positive cases for contact tracing, um, if maybe I fell through the cracks, or is there kind of a bigger system-wide um, support for that? Uh, thanks, Elise, for this question. And um, if you're a New Haven resident, if you could text me at 203-500-2969 just to give me some more details on it. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we had a lot of school nurses that were doing uh, contract tracing to help support residents like yourself. And uh, the state has taken over some of that contact tracing, but we're actually, because the schools are not in session, activating more nurses to do this. You know, obviously for everyone, contact tracing and helping support people that are in your situation are very important. It surprises me um, to hear that you were not contacted and it would be very good to actually get down to the bottom of why. So if you could, if you could text me or call me, that would be great. Thanks. And we'll send her number uh, to uh, your uh, spokesperson, uh, Mayor Elliker. Can we talk more about uh, the school children in New Haven? Uh, many of them not actually in a classroom since the spring. Uh, there was a plan uh, to go from remote to, I believe, uh, hybrid, but that had to be halted because, again, of this COVID-19 surge. And I'm just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, reaching children, especially those uh, in need? We know that, uh, that we've heard from our commissioner of the State Department of Ed, uh, Miguel Cardona, and others that school sometimes is the safest place for children. 
Yeah, this has been such a tough, uh, a tough, tough challenge. It's you know, in, in many ways similar to uh, restaurants, where it's an impossible situation. Uh, Dr. Tracy, the superintendent of schools, and I were um, vocal advocates of opening up when the cases were low in September. And uh, you know, understandably, there were some uh, teachers that were uh, and, uh, and and other staff members and some board members that were concerned about opening up. Uh, because of uh, you know the the risk that um, uh, that people felt existed in schools, the uh, overall the indications are that in the uh, younger ages the um, the likely spread of the virus is relatively low. Um, we were seeing a lot of cases even with our schools closed. Um, our staff members were coming into the schools and teachers, and we were seeing a lot of cases coming into the schools and exposing uh, different individuals in the schools because of that. And as the cases began to rise, we felt like it was not the wisest decision to start uh, uh, the hybrid model. Um, as a, a parent, uh, I, it is very, very challenging to have a child um, at home doing online learning. I think that uh, the online learning program that New Haven Public Schools is implementing has vastly, vastly improved, but um, it's incredibly challenging for parents. Uh, you know, my wife and I struggle through it. And frankly, we have the, um, much more ability to make things work than a lot of parents where um, they may be a single parent that has to work. Um, they, they may be uh, two parents that have to have to work in, in a very challenging situation. Maybe you have three or four kids at home all trying to do online learning. I think the, the positive thing is that uh, every child in New Haven should have a device and access to the internet for free at this point because uh, the team has worked very, very hard to make sure that they have that infrastructure. And uh, my hope is as the cases go down, we'll be able to get back to in-person learning, which is so vital for the success of so many New Haven kids and their, their uh, success. You said that the online uh, learning instruction has improved from the spring, but do you know how many uh, New Haven public school students are engaged, are actually connecting and doing the work, uh, Mayor? The vast majority are, but there's still some uh, students that ha are not actively engaged, meaning they don't log in frequently, but they log in sometimes, and then some that haven't logged in at all. Um, uh, our team has been actually going door to door uh, to those uh, kids that have not been engaged and uh, teachers and principals are working to um, to, to find the, uh, the, the reasons for uh, kids in their classrooms not being engaged and see if we can support them to make sure that they are more engaged. It's a, it's a bad situation. It's a tough situation. Um, and I think that all of us would admit that. Uh, this is not ideal by any means, but we're working hard to try to get people, the, the kids, more engaged. Mm. Uh, the mayor will be with us for another five minutes. So last call on questions for the mayor at 888-720-9677. Now, I have to ask you about uh, testing, Mayor Elliker. I wanted to know um, about the, the amount of testing sites that your city has and what kind of oversight do you have when you are partnering with uh, providers? I'm asking this because there was an early partner, uh, Murphy Medical Associates, which has been a source of many complaints from patients for exorbitant billing. This is something New Haven an independent reported on, and it was picked up by the New York Times, who recently investigated. I know that uh, they're no longer a partner with the city, but can you talk about um, how you go about getting people and providers to um, have testing for your residents and what kind of oversight you have? 
Sure, and just to just to be clear, no patients were billed uh, by Murphy directly. It was the insurance companies. Nevertheless, we had enough concerns about it that we decided to go in a different direction. Um, we've worked very, very hard to increase testing capacity and currently are working with five different organizations to facilitate testing around the city. Um, and the, uh, overall, I think that that, uh, that partnership has been very, very successful. Um, we are working both to have uh, sites that are regularly open to, uh, to implement testing, in particular, Yale New Haven Hospital, uh, Fairhaven Health Clinic and uh, Health Center and uh, Cornell Scott have all been doing regular testing uh, since pretty early on in the pandemic. But we've also had a lot of pop-up events, whether it's on the green or um, at the, yesterday at Columbus School in Fairhaven, there were over 300 people that got tested. We're seeing like many other large municipalities, a surge in demand for testing. Um, frankly, the surge is both associated with the increase in number of cases, but also because a lot of people um, are planning on traveling for Thanksgiving and are trying to get tested before that. Um, but we're working very hard to increase those numbers. And of course, you know, very cognizant of any complaints that anyone might have uh, with uh, any testing facility. And we're, we're, you know, we're on top of that. Uh, for example, there was a, um, an organization that was doing testing, not in New Haven, but all around New Haven, and they weren't properly reporting the data to the state. And we work with the uh, state DPH to make sure that um, that was fixed because it's important for us to know the numbers. You mentioned that a surge in demand in testing. What is what are wait times looking like uh, in your city? You know, it wildly depends on, uh, in particular, if people are, are symptomatic and talk with their healthcare provider um, versus if people are asymptomatic and need to um, uh, schedule a, a test uh, and it might take a little bit more time. Um, but generally, uh, it's probably a maximum of an hour wait, um, but it, you know, it depends on the site and the time people show up. Mm. Uh, we know that municipal leaders have a lot of challenges uh, outside of COVID, including uh, budgets. And I understand the city has an estimated $13 million deficit for the coming fiscal year. The New Haven Independent reporting uh, that you've, uh, uh, you've appointed some people to work with Yale uh, to, to see if the university could provide more to your city. What can you tell us? Uh, we face, a, even before the pandemic, we, we are facing a fiscal crisis in the city of New Haven. This past year, the gap between revenues and expenses just to keep business going as normal uh, was over $30 million. And we're likely to see each uh, coming year be similar to that. Uh, the pandemic has exacerbated that problem. Uh, we've had significant increased uh, expenses in particular around police and fire overtime. Our fire and police officers are first responders and we've seen an uptick in violence in the city as well. And we've seen a decrease in revenues, particularly around parking meters and parking tags. And that's created a pretty challenging financial situation. We're working through this, but ultimately um, we can't solve these problems by cutting and cutting and cutting. We need our partners at the state and Yale University um, to help out on the revenue side or we're gonna to have to continue raising taxes to a, a level that is not sustainable. So it's a very, very challenging situation. And I think it's frankly a time in these conversations about systemic racism and income inequality, 
where we need to see our partners do much more um, to live by often what they we talk about of addressing the challenges of the communities that are most struggling. And so just to clarify, Yale University, their voluntary contributions is about $12.5 million. It's around 13. Since... It's a little over 13, 13 million. But you would like to see it up to 50 million. Is this something that uh, you want to see in the next year? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the, the talks that you're having? Yeah, ab absolutely. I think that with a, a university that um, has a an operational uh, budget that is many times the size of our city's operational budget, the uh, $13 million contribution to the city is way, way under what we would receive, which is over $150 million if Yale were taxed, and um, it, it is a drop in the bucket compared to what they can afford. Uh, it's in the self-interest of Yale to uh, be located in a city where everyone has the opportunity to thrive, where we can pay for a librarian and guidance counselor in every school, which we currently can't. But it's also their ethical responsibility, and um, our conversations with them uh, have been pushing them in that direction. Um, my hope is that the leadership of the university will um, understand that now is the time to uh, to demonstrate that Yale is a leader when it comes to addressing income inequality and systemic racism. Well, I want to thank uh, Mayor Justin Elliker for joining us here on the show. We'd love to have you back in a few months, uh, Mayor. I appreciate it. And I would uh, just urge people again, uh, as Thanksgiving approaches, it's critical that we ensure that we're not expanding our groups because we need to get this virus under control. So think twice when, you, when you expand, or you're thinking about expanding that network over Thanksgiving. We hope you have a good one with your family, Mayor. I appreciate it. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up after the break, we find out how Yale New Haven Hospital is doing as cases surge in and around the city. You can join us, too. Do you have a question about uh, you know going to the hospital uh, during a pandemic? 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. We know Thanksgiving is this week. What's it going to look like at your home? On the next Where We Live, we focus on gratitude. Despite this being a chaotic, hard year, we want to hear what you're thankful for this year. Join the conversation. That's tomorrow. Now, we know hospitalizations are up as COVID-19 cases rise around our state. Joining us now to talk about what their hospital system is seeing on Zoom, Michael Holmes, Senior Vice President of Operations at Yale New Haven Hospital. He's also the hospital's incident command officer. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy, and good morning. Also with us, Dr. Lauren Ferrante. She's a pulmonary and critical care physician who cares for patients in the medical intensive care unit at Yale New Haven Hospital. And she's also faculty at Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Ferrante, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So I'll start with you, Michael. We know that uh, Governor Lamont and others, when we think about uh, cases rising, we think about hospital capacity. And so tell me what you're seeing at your hospital. First, let me thank all our clinicians and our support staff here at Yale New Haven that take care of our patients on a daily basis. Um, today, although we are seeing an increase in our COVID inpatient volumes, we have ample beds to take care of our patients. Um, 
In our hospital today, we have 210 COVID patients um, across our entire system from Connect all throughout Connecticut. We're up to 390. That's about halfway, Carmen, of our first experience that uh, uh, began in March, April, and May. Um, we've learned a lot from the first time that we went through this uh, COVID wave to the second wave. And I'd just like to echo what Mayor Elliker said this morning. He and Governor Lamont have been very, very positive in working with our clinicians, our scientists to bring the most expertise data to our state. He mentioned several things that I would encourage us to continue to do. Wear masks, physical and social distancing, making sure you're washing your hands. And most importantly, um, let's curtail these big Thanksgiving activities that I know that we all want to do. Uh, as the second largest hospital in the country and the largest safety net hospital in Connecticut, we're well prepared to take care of this next COVID wave. But it's going to take all of us working collaboratively together. Now, Michael, you mentioned Michael, you mentioned uh, that uh, you have ample capacity. But when we think about your hospital system, I believe Lawrence Memorial Hospital in New London is part of that network. Uh, what are they seeing? Because we know that cases are rising on the eastern side of our state as well. Yeah, one of the great things that we did through the first first wave is, is we have a dashboard that I'm actually looking here off my side. So I can see the COVID volume. I can see the overall um, census at LNM, um, as well as uh, Westerly in Rhode Island. Uh, we watch very carefully, in particular, the ICU volumes. We will transfer patients to make sure that we maintain safety at that hospital, as well as um, you know, with the expertise that we have here. So we have a very good handle on all of our COVID populations in our hospitals across our system and mechanisms to transfer where we need mm. uh, uh, space available. Mm. Now, Dr. Ferrante, I mean, it sounds like the Yellow Haven Hospital and its uh, partner hospitals are in a good place, but with cases rising, can you talk a little bit about some of your concerns over the next month, especially after Thanksgiving? Yeah, so as, as the mayor and uh, Michael just mentioned, I, I too am very concerned about what we're going to see after the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I, I'm worried that families are going to host extended family in their home and that Thanksgiving will end up being a super spreader event. Um, and you know that this is going to result in an increased demand in our hospital system. And so just to echo what's been said already, I would really encourage everyone to please just celebrate Thanksgiving with those who are already in their household. Mm. Um, when you think about the, when you see the patients uh, this time around, Dr. Ferrante, what can you tell us about them uh, in terms of their age? Because in the beginning of this pandemic, there's a lot of attention, of course, on, on the elderly uh, because of the, the risk factors. But I'm wondering what you're seeing today. Lucy, that's a great question. And one thing that I, I do want to emphasize that applied both to the first wave of the pandemic and this one now is that the virus really does not discriminate in terms of age. So although, yes, we did see um, patients who were older and who had more comorbidities um, ending up severely ill more often than younger patients, I took care of many young patients and I have taken care of many young patients in their 30s all the way up um, through older ages. And uh, I really, you know, I really want the public to know that it's, this virus does not just make older people and those with comorbidities sick. Um, everyone has to be careful. And the other thing that I'll note is you've probably heard a lot about the long haulers, 
quote unquote long haulers mm-hmm. where even if someone has survived having COVID or may, may or may not have even been hospitalized, many patients are left with lingering symptoms for months afterwards. And we really don't know why this is happening to some versus others. The science is still evolving in this area. But I also see those patients in clinic, and I can relate to you that many of those patients are actually on the younger side. So despite what we've seen in uh, larger cohort studies, um, as I said, this virus really does not discriminate in terms of age. uh, So we all need to be careful. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel with this Dr. Lauren Ferrante, a pulmonary and critical care physician who cares for patients in the medical intensive care unit at Yale New Haven Hospital, and she's faculty at Yale School of Medicine. Also with this, Michael Holmes, Senior Vice President of Operations at Yale New Haven Hospital. If you have a question, especially if you live in uh, these areas that uh, Yale New Haven uh, operates and serves, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Dr. Ferrante, looking back uh, to March and April, uh, there was a lot about uh, this virus that wasn't known. But can you talk through now that we're hearing, uh, again, uh, the governor and others saying that uh, the good news is for people who are being hospitalized, we're not seeing as uh, many deaths. And can you walk us through some of uh, the treatments or uh, medicines that uh, hospitals are now using uh, because they've learned a lot from that first wave? Yes, absolutely. So we really have learned a lot since the first wave, which is encouraging. Um, I think it's important to highlight two medications and also two treatments that we now have um, evidence for, or at least more evidence than we did at the beginning of the pandemic. So the first um, thing, which is a treatment, uh, is that we know now that we don't have to put patients on the ventilator as early as we thought we did at the beginning of the pandemic. We know that we can use high flow oxygen devices and that uh, many times this will be enough to help patients where they don't need to go right on a machine to help them breathe. We also know that proning patients, um, which you may have heard to referred as tummy time or having someone lie on their belly as opposed Mm -hmm. to on their back can improve oxygenation for patients who have COVID. And that's something that we knew improved mortality Um, in non-COVID patients with um, what we call ARDS or an inflammatory lung condition. In the past, we knew about that, but now we know that proning does improve oxygenation in COVID patients. So we we do encourage that um, among our hospitalized patients. In terms of medications, we now have um, pretty solid data for two treatments in the hospital. The first one uh, that deserves the most mention is dexamethasone. So dexamethasone is a steroid. um, And we do have evidence now from the recovery trial that this decreases mortality in patients who have severe COVID, which is uh, those defined as, that's defined as those who need oxygen. And the second medication that we're giving in the hospital, and and we had used in the spring, but now we have uh, better evidence for this, is remdesivir. And that's an antiviral that has now been shown to decrease the time to recovery for hospitalized patients. So although we didn't see a mortality benefit, it does improve the time to recovery for those in the hospital. Michael, we're hearing from some listeners on Twitter. Uh, one writes, the Yale New Haven COVID hotline doesn't handle the Yale New Haven pop-up COVID testing sites. People looking to get tested at the pop-ups, wondering who to call for help. What can you tell them, Michael? 
Uh, that's a great question. So uh, we partnered, as uh, Mayor Elliker said, with a variety of providers across the um, uh, the community. Uh, Fairhaven, Cornell Hillscott, uh, our NEMG, our Northeast Medical Groups, uh, all have uh, testing capability as well as our partnership with Physician One. Uh, but the COVID hotline will make sure that you have all the contacts for those resources. Mm-hmm. But this person's saying that the hotline doesn't handle the pop-up COVID testing sites. Where would they get that information? Uh, they they should have that information okay. uh, or they should be able to provide that uh, person who is tweeting that information uh, with that. Mm-hmm. So I can go back and double check to see if they don't, uh, if they're not sharing that, that information. If you have a question, you can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, someone else uh, wanted to know, Michael Holmes, that they scheduled a mammogram in August at Smilo that won't be until February. The only way to get it sooner was to have it somewhere else. So what are you doing about the long waits for mammograms? Yeah, they bring up a very good point. And, you know, one of the things that we did in order to manage our first wave is this, unfortunately, we had to delay quite a bit of care. Uh, we've extended our hours for mammography services in particular, not only here on our St. Rayfield's campus, but uh, in North Haven, as well as our Shoreline facility. Um, we work with our YM uh, providers uh, to make sure that even we're offering weekend schedules on that. And we are trying to work through that backlog of patients that have been waiting patiently to get in to see us. Mm. Seeing overall that uh, people are, are again, uh, maybe postponing some regular checkups and appointments because they might be afraid to go to the hospital, Michael, what can you tell them? Uh, we follow all the best practices from the CDC and learnings um, uh, that we've learned through, uh, you know, our first wave. You know, we've done some things in particular to make sure that we send great messages to our community. We had limited um, visitation policies. We test regularly all symptomatic employees. We have a whole department that does contact tracing should we have any breakout in the hospitals. Uh, We have the best cleaning protocols um, out there and we've learned through wave uh, one and we've implemented those wave two. So I feel very confident that we offer very safe services. We're encouraging the, the community, you know, should you need our services, please seek our care. Mm. I was thinking, you know, for people uh, who may have COVID but don't know it because they're asymptomatic, are there instances where someone's coming in uh, to uh, the hospital or one of your partners and they're getting tested because it's routine and they're finding out that they're COVID positive? Yeah, you know, I think that this is another important uh, thing that we've learned from wave one to wave two. And Dr. Ferranti excellent talked about the treatments and the medication that we have. But one of the things that we're also seeing through the second wave is a lot of people are showing up for service. We test um, all admissions that come through our emergency department. And we have a lot of patients that are showing up with non-COVID-related asymptomatic uh, symptoms that we test uh, to ensure that they don't have COVID and they're showing up positive. So I think the community spread is something that is very important, very serious out there. Um, that's something that we're seeing is people are not showing up so much with COVID symptoms, uh, COVID diagnosis. It's uh, in addition to what, you know, they're showing up for. 
Dr. Ferrante did a great job walking us through some of the treatments and uh, medication that uh, providers are now using regularly um, from learning from that first wave. But I am wondering, you know, from the first wave, we knew that there were PPE shortages early on. What does it look like now for your uh, team at Yale New Haven? Yeah, thanks for asking about this. This is such an important issue. Um, the, the situation right now with regard to PPE is, is so much better than it was in the spring. Um, I think that the decline in numbers over the summer gave everyone a chance to catch up and to prepare for what we thought might be a second wave during the winter. And so um, uh, the health system has, you know, really prepared where, in, you know, in terms of the first type of N95 that had been used for many years with that supply chain running low, um, we are prepared now with backup N95s, so different, um, different types of respirators that are being made that still provide the same type of infection. And many of the providers in our medical intensive care unit also received a certain type of respirator that can be um, cleaned by the hospital and then uh, given back the next day, um, completely clean and ready for use. So overall, I would say our PPE situation is much better than it was in the spring. Can I ask you, Dr. Ferrante, how your team is doing? Uh, we hear a lot about uh, COVID fatigue for people who are not um, uh, health professionals, but I was thinking about, you know, seeing these cases rising, uh, the, the toll it takes on you and your team, as well as the fact that they have to quarantine from their family. Yeah, thank you for asking about that, Lucy. Um, so that's, I will say there's, um, you know, in the spring, I think, there was a lot more adrenaline where everyone, you know, really felt that, you know, we were heading off to battle in some way. Um, at, at, during the second wave, we still have the same motivation and, and desire to help our patients. I think everyone is a little bit, um, a little bit more tired, um, but no less motivated to help and to take care of everyone. I think, I think we do wish, we had suspected that there would be a second surge in the winter. I think we had hoped it would not have started this early, um, you know, where we really started to see numbers rise at the end of October, beginning of November. Um, but on some level, we knew it was a possibility because the numbers never got to zero over the summer. So we felt it was probably just a matter of time before they went up again. Um, but we are, you know, we're all trying to um, take care of ourselves. There are several um, different mechanisms that we're using that the hospital has provided and that our, our group has organized to support staff. So things like stress and resilience meetings. Um, yeah, and just, just trying to support each other. Mm, that's good to hear. Before we run out of time, uh, Michael Holmes, I'll turn back to you. Uh, everyone's looking uh, to the good news uh, from Pfizer and Moderna about these uh, vaccines and the fact that they're you know over 90, 95% effective, but distribution is going to be the next challenge. What can you tell us about Yale New Haven Hospital working with the state on this distribution plan? Yes, it is good news. Um, and uh, I think we actually heard this morning that you know, there was a third uh, update out there, uh, which we were excited about that. Uh, we do have a variety of our clinicians and our physician leaders that are working with Governor Lamont and uh, a statewide um, committee that's looking at um, how many vaccines we're going to get, how they're going to be distributed and in, in the most safe uh, way. Um, I don't have 
too much more information at this time, but there's a lot of smart minds around the table to get <laughs> the vaccines to the essential folks uh, in the quickest time uh, possible. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Ferrante is still not too late to get a flu shot. It is definitely not too late to get a flu shot, and we encourage that everyone gets the flu shot. Yes, absolutely. I want to thank Dr. Lauren Ferrante for joining us again, a pulmonary and critical care specialist who cares for patients in the medical intensive care unit at Yale New Haven Hospital. Dr. Ferrante, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lucy. Also here with us, Michael Holmes, Senior Vice President of Operations at Yale New Haven Hospital. Uh, Michael, we thank you for your time today. Lucy, thank you as well, and have a great day. Again, today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Again, tomorrow our show is about gratitude. We want to hear from you. Join us. I'm Lucy Dalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.